Hey everyone, I'm Brandon Knight and this is My Seminary Life, the show where I recap the things I'm studying in grad school right now. Let's get started. Last week we focused all about deconstructing our understanding of discipleship because it turns out our American way of thinking about discipleship really isn't the best way about thinking about, and by best way, I mean it's not really all that biblical of a mentality to carry, not really the way that Jesus would have done it, not really the way they would have done discipleship in Judaism as well. This week, our the bulk of our reading, the bulk of our assignment focused on understanding what is discipleship, redefining discipleship, reconstructing Reconstructing, that's how you say that. Discipleship, we're going to use redefining because I know I can say that word over and over again easily. We're going to redefine discipleship this week in order to continue on in our study in this class. So, let's go back to the Jewish understanding of discipleship then. Let's start there. So, the rise of the disciple, rabbi, and the synagogue took place primarily during the exile until roughly AD 70 there isn't really any concrete like this is when this all took place exactly like this but during the time of Israel and Judah's exile till about the fall of Jerusalem in right around AD 70 is when you see the rise of the learner the Talmud if I have the Hebrew word correct there, it's the Talmud, the learner, the disciple, the rabbi, and the synagogue. The thing is, though, is that there isn't a lot of written material about what a disciple does, what a disciple is like, what a discipleship program is like in the Jewish understanding. Um, What we have more so is examples and written records about the examples. So what we have is that A Jewish boy was raised at home studying the Torah. That was a foundational part of Jewish home life during this time period, studying the Torah at home. And they also would go to a primary school, essentially, where they would also continue to study the Torah. So a lot of Torah training at a young age. At the age of 13, when a Jewish boy would be considered a man, he would then submit himself to a rabbi, and a rabbi would apply this academic test to see just how smart the kid is. If the Jewish boy passes the examination, he would then become the rabbi's disciple. And from there, the training of the Torah would continue through the guidance of this rabbi. And eventually, as time would go on, the learner would advance to another level where they would be considered intellectual equals with the rabbi, but they would not be formally recognized as a rabbi yet. Either within Judaism or within the community, that is the final step, is then to be recognized as a rabbi yourself. So one thing that we can maybe glean just right off the bat, off of this general how this all worked out in Judaism, is that Jewish boys 
sure did receive a lot more Torah training than I ever did. Um, I, I mean, I went through the Awana program, I was in VBS, but just comparing what I was learning about God to, like, how much Jewish boys were being just inundated with the Torah and the writings and all these things, just like how in-depth they were getting by the age of 13 is staggering compared to what I got and what I really think children are getting nowadays too, either at church or the lack thereof that they're getting at home as well. I I think I think Claire showed me a meme a while back that was like a cartoon drawing of a little boy with the caption me excited that I just memorized John 3:16 and then the other picture was a cartoon drawing of like a massive robot and it said something to the effect of a Jewish boy having just memorized the entire Torah or something like that. Just this idea of, you know, I go to the gym and I'm just getting a workout and next to me is LeBron James, basically. Like that would be the comparison of my training in God's word as a child compared to a Jewish boy's at that time, their training in God's word. So that's the first thing that maybe we could take away from this is that um, the training was much more rigorous and much more... Uh, cohesive and involved a lot of the Jewish boy's life, both at school and at home. But like I said, there isn't a lot of writing about how this all takes place, not in the Old Testament, not in the Apocrypha, not in the Pseudepigrapha, not in the, the Talmud, the rabbinic literature. Like, there's not a lot of this like writing about this is how this process works. Instead, what we see is examples. There was a community, a sect of Judaism that considered themselves the like the the pious group of disciples of Judaism. Uh, they separated themselves from the rest of Jerusalem, had their own little uh, community where they would submit themselves under the l- learning of. The righteous one, I think, is the term that they would call their leader, the righteous one, who would extract them out of the Torah to help this community better understand the proper understanding of the Torah. And they were all considered brothers and not so much like, you know, community members in general, but brothers. There was a brotherhood ship. If you, and if you know your church history, you may begin to realize that, oh, that sounds a lot like a monastery. Like this is kind of the, this community was almost like the uh, informal roots of the monastery movement that we see later on in church history, where believers in Christ would separate themselves from the world. They were all considered brothers and they would commit themselves to a deep academic training in God's word, in piety, in works, in things like that. So, but again, there's not like a a written, this is how we do it. Another example of how we have an example of the discipleship training, but not actually like instruction manual, is the example of Moses and Joshua. Like Moses isn't a rabbi in the sense that we're talking about here with the Talmud and the rabbis, but 
Moses is a trainer. Joshua is his disciple. And through Moses, Joshua learns the law. Joshua learns skills of how to navigate and lead a large group of people. There's fellowship going on between Joshua and Moses. There's a relationship taking place. And this is all discipleship. Again, this is not like we're using the exact terms, Talmud. We're not using the terms disciple, learner, rabbi with Moses and Joshua. But we're seeing this example played out. All that to say, the disciple and master mentality seems to be one that is built into Jewish culture. This idea that you submit yourself under the tutelage of someone who knows more, but it's not just for academic purposes. You are submitting yourselves. This is all very much out of Bill Hull's book, The Complete Book of Discipleship. You're submitting yourself under the guidance of a teacher who is instructing you not just in wisdom, but also in conduct. And that seems to be the part that often gets lost in discipleship training nowadays. Actually, a lot of it gets lost. I put a poll up on our socials. By the way, if you're not following us on social media, you should, because right now on Fridays, after I make the announcement of the topic, I've been putting polls up in our stories that you can engage with that kind of help me know you all a little bit better. And the poll question this week was, is community a requirement for discipleship? And I was really encouraged to see the results that many of you believe, yes, community is a requirement for discipleship. And it is. Whether it's this one-on-one or a brotherhood, there is a level of a relationship going on between the disciple and the teacher. But it's not just to gain wisdom, gain instruction out of the Torah. The During the Rabbi Talmud era, the disciples' goal was not just to know everything that the, the rabbi knew, but was to live the life of the rabbi, do everything like the rabbi, submit themselves into the very conduct of, the very way that this rabbi lived their life. So for these Jewish boys, they weren't just trying to like, okay, that guy over there, he's the one who knows the most. There was probably also a decision of like, which one of these rabbis do I want to grow up to be like? I'm going to be, you know, just like this person. Who do I want to shepherd me in this? So discipleship then is from all of these examples that we can gain from the Jewish mindset. Discipleship is a person submitting themselves humbly under the guidance of a teacher to learn wisdom and conduct. That is discipleship. And now I need you to sit back and think for a moment about how your small group, life group, your mentor, if you're a mentee, whatever, think about those relationships you have and would you say this is discipleship? Would you say that those groups that you're a part of, that person you're meeting with, 
Are you submitting yourself humbly to their teaching to learn wisdom and conduct? Or are you teaching wisdom and conduct to someone who has humbly submitted themselves under your guidance? That is what discipleship looks like. Now, there is a twist to this that Jesus does bring up. And it's the part about submission. The Jewish boys, they would submit themselves to these teachers, to these rabbis, and the rabbis would test them, and if they passed, they would then be allowed to follow that rabbi. With Jesus, what we see in the Gospels is that he is calling his disciples out. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And as the age-old biblical example goes, Jesus isn't calling out the intellectual elites either. He's calling basically the dropouts, the guys who didn't make the cut. They may have had some intellectual training that, you know, Simon the Zealot, he would have been part of a different religious group at one point in time. But what we see here is that Jesus goes to, you know, the least of these, which is the thing that Jesus always did. He would, he called out the least of these. And it's the call out part that I want to emphasize there, that Jesus isn't waiting for us to submit ourselves to him to receive his training. What we see here is Jesus has already called us. Jesus has called us to follow him. And again, this goes back to the what we talked about last week, that being a disciple and being a Christian aren't two different things. It is one and the same. You can say you're born again. You can say that you're a follower of the way. It all means the same thing, that Jesus has called you out to follow him. And now you are submitting yourself in a relationship with him. Go back to our conversation on spiritual formation. You are submitting yourself to a relationship with him to learn wisdom and guidance and conduct for life. But how does discipleship then look like in our current context? Because Jesus doesn't just call us to individually follow him. He also says, follow me and go and make disciples. So there is an expectation, again, for all Christians to be out there making disciples to some degree. So how are you going out and bringing people in to submit themselves humbly to you to teach them wisdom and conduct? And this is one way, I mean, this might be a slight technicality, but this is one way that I am happy how my my wife and I, we have a small group, how it came together is that we went to people. We didn't just like put it out on the market on a church bulletin board and say, hey, we started a small group, anybody who wants to come. Like we could totally do that. And people, you know, if people showed up, we wouldn't like kick them out or anything. But our small group is built of people that we approached and said, we want to do this with you. We want to disciple you. We want to grow relationally and spiritually with you. And the ones that said yes answered the call. That's, you know, I'm not saying that that is exactly how it's supposed to be, but I 
I am encouraged that the example that Jesus has left is the one that built our small group up, which is cool. But how does discipleship look nowadays? And discipleship is, you know, we talked all about it last week, what discipleship is not. A lot of what has happened in America when it comes to discipleship is um, because of evangelicalism. Evangelicalism started with Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation in Europe. Being evangelical is just another term for being Protestant. Here in America, being evangelical can mean a whole host of things, a theological mindset, a political mindset, a hybrid of both that informs each other. Like It's it's kind of a catch-all term for a lot of things now. But evangelicalism in America has slowly moved from what we saw in the revivals of the past, the great awakenings in the past of the church being woken up to this idea of, hey, we need to get it together. We need to be following the call of Jesus and making disciples to, and I love the guy, he's one of my heroes of the faith, but to Billy Graham evangelical, uh, Franklin Graham evangelical, like, revivals that are emphasizing salvation alone. Read a fascinating article this week for the class from the Oxford Oxford Handbook of Evangelical Theology, I believe is what it was from, um, on discipleship. And what it talked about was how evangelicalism has simplified everything way too much. And that it has boiled everything down to your relationship with God and your reading of scripture. That's it. What matters most is your relationship to God and that you submit yourself to God's word. Now, in of those things, that's not like a bad thing. Like you should have an active relationship with God. You should be reading God's word. But what we see here is that it stops there. There's no emphasis on relationship with other people. There's no emphasis on submitting yourself to teaching. Basically, it's all you, which is totally American. That is a to- that is totally an American way of doing things. It's all about you. Just do it your way. Submit yourself to God's word. Submit yourself to your relationship to God, and you'll be fine. And what we have seen throughout the course of American history is evangelicals then trying to come up with ways to fill that void. Fill that void of a lack of community. Fill that void of very, you know, these these Christians who are not, you know, living a life that is glorifying to God. We have all these books and movements and all these things to try and fill that void that really what we need to do is get back to a pure form of discipleship. And we need to get back to rigorously, yes, rigorously studying God's word. Yes, I, I agree that we need that to still be a part of our life. And obviously a relationship with God that is rooted in prayer and again, reading his word is necessary but we need each other. 
We need to be discipled. We need to be discipling. We need to not just study God's word, but we need conduct. We need conduct in the American church. We need men and women to live godly, holy, pious lives. But that's not just going to come from reading books about the 14 steps to make Jesus happy. Like That's going to come from studying his word, living in submission to him, and living in submission to other people. It's difficult living with sinners, but you know what? It really does sharpen the edges, too. It really does mold you into this into the image of Christ when you are submitting yourself to other people. Now, this is one of the things where I I don't know if I'm overstepping. This is this these are just one of the questions I've had th- throughout this week. So, in the Jewish mindset, going back to the Jewish understanding of discipleship, like the end goal, like obviously you wanted to know Yahweh through the Torah. Obviously. Why else would you spend so much time studying it? You wanted to glorify God through studying and applying the Torah, right? But there is also an emphasis on becoming like this individual, this rabbi that you're following, right? Now, as Christians, we ultimately are submitting ourselves under Jesus, and we want to be made in the image of Jesus. But it's interesting to me that at some point in Christianity, and I don't know if, I don't know if we should be getting back to this, and if it could be it could be a disaster, I think if we did. But should we be getting back to this idea of trying to model ourselves after certain godly men and women? Should we? This is just the question I'm posing right now. Maybe I'll maybe I'll make this a poll question for next. Maybe this will be the poll question for next week. Like, should we be submitting ourselves? You know, you hear preachers all the time say, "I don't want you to," you know, "I don't want you to idolize me. I don't want you to be, you know, you know, following me." Like we follow Jesus here, and Paul does talk about. I think it's in Second Corinthians how there was a dispute in the church about how some were claiming to follow Paul, some were claiming to follow Apollos, and he was like, guys, settle down. It's not that big of a deal. Like, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Like, that's all I care about. So maybe that's, you know, that's the ultimate punchline, is find people to imitate in your life that are imitating Jesus Christ. But it is still good to imitate those people, right? Like... Like, for an example, people who love John MacArthur love John MacArthur. Like, they they read all of his books. They basically just preach his books. Like, sorry. And if you're a John MacArthur person, sorry. I'm coming off a little hard now. But that's just, like, an easy example. John Piper's another one. That people who follow John Piper really follow John Piper. Is that a bad thing? And that's also not to say that you only have to follow, like, the big-name guys. Like... You only can follow those two people, or Jen Wilkin, or JT English, or, you know, you have to just model your life after these people. Like, if your small local community pastor is a great guy, if his, you know, if his wife, ladies, if his wife is like a very knowledgeable, godly woman, and you want to submit yourself under her tutelage, or guys under the pastor, or a deacon, or an elder at your church, like, Go for it. A couple, you know, if you're if a Christian couple finds 
a more experienced Christian couple and you want to submit yourselves under their tutelage, like go for it. I think, I think that is something that's really missing. We have really beaten to death this idea of like, oh no, no, don't, I'm nothing. I'm no one. Don't just focus on Jesus. Yes, focus on Jesus. But I think we really do need to get back to people that the trying to formulate my sentence here. People have value. And the way that they live their lives, especially if they are living it in submission to Jesus, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. If they are imitating Jesus, then they are an example worth following after. So how, how do we bring this all together then? So redefining discipleship for this episode. Discipleship is submitting yourself under the training of someone who is submitting themselves under the training of Jesus and learning wisdom and conduct from them. That is discipleship. Submission, there is humility. There is always humility in Christianity. You cannot do Christianity without humility. You can't do Christianity without a lot of things, but you cannot do Christianity without humility. And in that humility, as you submit yourself to someone who is submitting themselves to Jesus, you learn wisdom and you gain conduct that glorifies God. That is discipleship in action. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, then please take a moment to rate and review the show on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on right now, or head on over to the My Seminary Life Facebook page where you can write a recommendation on there as well. You can also follow us on Instagram at My Seminary Life Pod for other fun updates throughout the week. And more than the recommendation, I would really appreciate it if you told someone you knew about the show. Word of mouth is the best way to advertise for this show. And finally, you can follow me, Brandon Knight, on Instagram and TikTok at just.brandon.k for other fun faith-based content. So that's it for today's episode. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Brandon Knight. Keep on studying.